Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. How many of you guys feel like you encountered God in a really significant and substantial way in worship? I may or may not have uh, cried during worship. My wife is back there. She'll be sad to hear that she missed those tears. She always loves to hear the stories of when I cry. And she's like, what? What happened? Where were you? What was the temperature like? I'm really grateful for you guys. Really love this community. And I I do hope you know that. I know I say it each week, but I'm deeply grateful for this community. Deeply grateful for God in my life uh, and what Jesus has done in my life, which is a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, There's some regrets in my life, but one of them is not making love Jesus, love people our primary language. Uh, Each year and each month and each week that this church time passes together, those two phrases, those two ideas together just continue to resound in my heart and in this community. I'm super grateful to Jesus uh, for you, for my family. Uh, If you're newer to community, uh, then hopefully you had fun in worship. But also, we just really love you. We love people. We love community. We look for an opportunity to serve and invest in your life. We have different stuff going on that you could check out at the table. But this is something that we really felt led to do in community. So we're doing a series this month called Jesus Stories. Very simply, we want to hear your stories of what Jesus has done in your life. You could do any story on the front, or we did some specific questions on the back. Uh, If you wanted to tell us about those, um, we just really believe we're entering into a season. Last week I talked about seasons, but we're entering into a season where celebrating what God is doing in each other's life is where our church is at right now. And so we want that opportunity to do it in a formal written way, uh, but also we want that opportunity to just hear from you, uh, for you to tell people around. And we're going to do communion at the end, and I'll, I'll ask that at that time you share with somebody you've never shared before the testimony or the story of how you found Jesus when you gave him your life, but for real. Not that time when you were five and you did it in Sunday school, but the time where you did it for real and you never looked back. And if you haven't done that, in that time, I'll encourage you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, to give your life to Jesus. Uh, Because that is where the story of Jesus starts in your life, is giving him your life. So much what was powerful about what I heard here was this was worship led from a place of testimony. This was worship led from a place of sincere and true encounter with Jesus. Did you guys experience that? Did you see that? And I want to encourage you guys as we talk about our Jesus stories uh, and really as I talk about today testimonies that you really, really, really partner with Jesus on what he's been doing, what he's doing now, and what he's doing in your future. Super love you guys. And I want to talk about testimony today. Um, I've had a really interesting relationship with testimonies. Uh, I love real good testimonies. I love hearing uh, somebody tell me their testimonies, all kinds of different testimonies, how they got saved, where they're at right now, what Jesus is doing in their life. I love transformation. 
So my favorite, 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 subjective favorite testimonies are testimonies of transformation. Uh, I know some love testimonies of physical healing, and those are amazing. Uh, and I love those too. But my favorite testimonies to hear are somebody telling me a story about how God changed their life. It's supernatural. It's amazing. It's miraculous to me. It's my absolute favorite. And um, so I, I, I studied out for today to preach and teach on, on testimonies because we have a lot of different kind of relationship and relation uh, dynamics for testimonies. It's some, for some of us, it's the thing we do on the microphone uh, or we hear others do on the microphone on Sundays. But that was only meant to be an amplification, a magnification of what is to be a community trend and even skill to tell people and to allow the, the work that God's doing in your life to overflow in an exciting way. Like, hey, Jesus is doing this in my life and I'm excited about it. I want to tell you about it because I'm truly overflowing with an excitement over the story that Jesus is unfolding in my life. And uh, why we call the Jesus stories versus and or instead of just testimony as a series is because I really like Jesus. <laughs> and I wanted to amplify and highlight that these are the stories that Jesus is doing in our life. So I like that you may feel like the story of you getting a new job is a testimony or a better job. And I think it's cool that you got a better job. But to me, the testimony isn't that you got more money or that you got a better boss. But the testimony is something that Jesus is growing in significance in your life or that you are growing to be more like Jesus. That's the true testimony, yeah? So I, I, there's a highlight and emphasis in this whole month on Jesus' work in our life uh, and Jesus' impact in our life and the stories we are telling. You guys with me? Sweet, awesome, awesome. There's always, whenever we leave a place of worship, uh, in terms of encounter into a place of teaching, there's almost even a little bit of a quiet. You guys ever feel the hush over in those moments? Revelations 12, 7 through 11, it begins to speak about testimonies and the way we share testimonies, uh, illustrating conquering and victory language. And so if you read with me, it says, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And I underline this part because it's important to know that when you're living in deception, this is the goal of the enemy in our life. And we got to confront deception. we got to confront falsehoods in our life because they are the plan of the enemy to deceive the whole world. And he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. So you see two trends here. The enemy's plan is deception and accusation. And I believe that as we relate to the story of our life, both in our history, our present, and our future, we can actually see patterns of deception and accusation be powerful to destroy or hurt us. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced really powerful accusation in your life and it hurt you. How many of you guys have experienced with the raise of hand powerful accusation and it hurt? The interesting thing about the enemy is that he doesn't just accuse in places that are nonsensical or we can easily refute. I find that the enemy is really, really good at accusing us in places that are really hard for us to refute. They're hard for us to argue about. And you're almost like, yeah, I think you might be right. I, I, I did do that. The trick is, and what the enemy wants to do is he wants to persuade you that your failure or your sin has a consequence of condemnation. So when the enemy comes to accuse you and he accuses the brethren, he takes a truth that's perhaps, say, the presence of a sin in your life, and then he seeks to accuse you and give you a, a guilty verdict about that true place in your life. But you, should, you and I should be aware at this point that the enemy's truth isn't the full truth of Jesus. And that although you may have sin present in your life, and the Bible says for the wages of sin are death, we should also have the full truth perspective that the blood of Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. It redeems us from our sins. So in one sense, the enemy in his accusation and his deception has power. And if you're not tapped into the testimony of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, you're not going to be able to overcome the accusation and the deception of the enemy. So when he comes in and he starts to point out real sin patterns or bondage patterns in your life, you don't even have to argue their reality in order to overcome them. That's called denial. We don't need denial in order for us to overcome sin or patterns of bondage. All we have to be aware of is that although sin is truthfully death-inducing, the life of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, is a greater truth than the truth of sin. That's why the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. We do not have to deny the power of sin. We only need to recognize that it's inferior to the power of the blood of Jesus. So when the enemy comes and says, look at your sin, we can go, yeah. No, you're actually kind of right about that, enemy. But also, the power of the blood of Jesus makes me white as snow. It makes me innocent as though I have never done the sin of which I am guilty of. It's a powerful converter. It's a powerful shift. So when we are telling a testimony, it doesn't need to exclude real failure. In fact, it should include failure. Because your confessions, your admittance, your humility in this thing is not just that, hey, I did, like, I got this, or God gave me more money, or things of that nature. It's also, look, I have seen a capacity for sin and failure in this area. And the testimony of Jesus is that in that place of failure, he authored life and victory. Unmerited to me, unwarranted to me, God inspired life. He inspired wisdom. He inspired an alteration of my being. This is why the woman caught in adultery, thrown before Jesus, asked for everyone to stone him, or everyone asked for her to be stoned. This is why Jesus can say, I also 
do not condemn you. I also do not pick up the stone to stone you. Go and sin no more. This is why Jesus can say to you really simply in a pattern of sin, go and sin no more. Don't you find that amazing? And she didn't say, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you understand this, but I've sinned like this for a while. So it's really not realistic for you to tell me to go and sin no more. See, because if she did that, and if she bought into her history and believed that greater than the words of Jesus, then she puts more merit and stock in her history than she does in the words of Jesus. You and I may not realize this, but we do this often. We look at the history of our behavior and we foresee that being reproduced into our future. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Once a liar, always a liar. My grandpa was that way. My father was that way. I'm that way. You really got to realize the credence and the credit you give history and your patterns because you might not really realize it, but you might be giving a nod of submission to your history. So when God wants to free you from patterns, the first thing you have to do is believe in his words greater than you do the power of your history. Wow, isn't that fun? So we're not telling a story of our humanity. We're telling a story of Jesus in our life, which is greater than our humanity. Your humanity, the dispositions of your flesh, these are precarious notions. You might look at inside and you might be intimidated, thrown off, or even disturbed at some of your raw flesh emotions. But Jesus isn't intimidated by these things. He doesn't author in submission to your flesh. He doesn't author in submission to these dynamics of your brain. In fact, God is greater than your paradigms. And he invites you for your paradigms to be made new or your brain to be made new. Romans 12, 2, we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. So you might tell me your brain is sick. You might tell me your brain is broken. You might tell me you have lustful, angry, murderous thoughts. And I will tell you, okay, okay. So what's the testimony of Jesus in your life? You've told me what your humanity is, but I'm not intimidated by it. This is why I could tell young people that told me they were on cocaine, like in that moment, and they weren't supposed to be, they were supposed to be Christians and all this stuff. This is why I didn't, I didn't blink an eye at their intimidating sin structures. I could just look at them and go, okay, like what, what's Jesus doing in your life? I know what you're doing because you just gave me an update. It's cocaine. But okay, cool. Like, thank you for confessing that to me, right? But here's the goal, is to have a vision of what Jesus is doing in your life. Because if you can't see what Jesus is doing in your life when you're on cocaine, then you're probably going to stay on cocaine. Like addiction is really interesting because when you get into that place of addiction, it's like all you can see, all that dominates your imagination is the beginning and the end of that bondage. You have a really hard time seeing beyond that place of cyclical addiction. But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in your life and you begin to engage with Jesus and you realize he's a chain breaker and that where the, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And you're starting to go like, okay, well, I'm not free. I'm meeting Jesus and I find out that if you spend time with Jesus, he sets you free and then you stay free. 
And then what you've got then is you're toiling over the meaning of the life of Jesus and your life. You're toiling over this thing and you're like, well, is it possible? Is that really possible? I remember the first time that I need physical healing. You don't, like when you really need it, like when you really, really need it, you realize how doubtful you are that you could be physically healed. I could pray for somebody else all day long for them to be physically healed. But when I had like a broken bone or a sprained ankle or I had Guillain-Barre, of course I'd get a French disease. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm French Canadian in my blood or my history. But you know, when I had these things, it's like you pray, you're like, God, heal me. And then you're like, okay, when's my doctor's appointment? What medication do I need? And you like pray it because you have to as a believer. But you're like, it's, it's, it's harder to believe. It's harder to like truly put yourself in a place of depending on that when it's you. I want to bring us to this point of understanding that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You've got to see this. The blood of Jesus redeems. It wipes out your, your, it wipes out your ledger. It wipes out the bookkeeping the enemy has done to you. And so when you see this, you can go, okay, I understand that's in my history, but I also understand the effect of the blood of Jesus makes it as if it wasn't in my history. Because sin should have an effect, but Jesus wipes that out. 1 John 5, 6 through 12, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Baptism in the blood of Jesus. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit is truth. I want you to remember that part. The Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Notice that the testimony of God is greater. Even if the testimony of men is good and valid and actually persuasive, you and I should recognize that the testimony of God is greater. So when your brother, your sister, your auntie, your uncle, your husband, or your wife condemn you and have a witness about you, it may be accurate and you should listen to it and understand it, but you should also hear the testimony of Jesus about you because it's greater. It's greater because... Here's the people closest to us may have a testimony about us that illustrates our weaknesses, our inabilities, and our failures. But Jesus doesn't only see those. He also sees our full potential. He also sees that which he has laid out for us in his nature for us to become and receive. So Jesus sees us fully. He sees us fully. This is why his testimony is greater because it's more accurate, it's more full, it's more holistic. It sees us perfectly and accurately in our history, our present, and our future. My wife has a really, really good testimony about me, a really good witness about me, right? She sees me well. She knows me, strengths, weaknesses, how I look when I first wake up in the morning, you know? How I look when I'm going to bed and I am ready to roll at night. Actually, not anymore. The last year, I've got a confession, I'm not a night person anymore. And I'm deeply grieved by this. I used to roll and hang with young adults like it was no problem. You couldn't tell a difference between a young adult and me. But now, I've got a mustache. 
I go to bed at 9 p.m. on young adult nights. Look, Jess, I, I, she was the, we did, we hosted young adults this last season. I, multiple times, ask the young, was gone by like 9.30, upstairs, sleeping in my bed. And everybody's hanging out to like whatever time of night. And I, I didn't even feel bad. It's just how it is. You know, this is my testimony now. I'm not a night person. But the testimony, even though my wife's is accurate, she can see me pretty well. God's is greater. And this can help you in your marriage, in fact. I mean, you, you may not realize it, and you may at first use it as some kind of like, you don't know me like God knows me. <laughs> but try and decline using this fact as a weapon in an argument. And just do it like this, like, your friends, family, husband, or wife, they may see very, very clearly the damage and the pain that comes from your sin patterns. But the great testimony of Jesus in your life is it doesn't only see that consequence, it also sees the door out. It also sees the way to breakthrough. It sees it very intimate, intimately with you. And like, he even knows the point in worship maybe two years down the road, where all of a sudden it's going to come crashing down and you're going to be crying and God's going to be reshaping you and changing you emotionally and mentally. You're going to, he can see even into your future when that moment of the paradigm shift happens. When finally in the midst of an argument with your spouse, you're like, oh, I see it now. I see it. And you're going to be humbled and you're going to find repentance and you're going to find that your heart moves from hard to soft. See, God can see all of it. God can see where you're at. He can see how long you're going to be there. And he can see what it's going to take for you to get out. So trust what he's saying about you because the spirit is truth. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. This life is in his son. I am not too interested in testimonies when they're basically just a brag. You ever had somebody give you a testimony but you're like, I think that was just bragging. And it's not that I don't want to hear about your life, because I do. And I listen, and I love spending time, and I love hearing about people's life. But what I'm really trying to mine in my own life and dig up and unearth in my own life is the discernment of what God is doing in the midst of all of these events, in the midst of all these happenings and things. Like, God, what are you saying and what are you doing? I know pragmatically what's happening. I know we sit in green chairs and we play music on Sundays. And I know I talk to this person about that or this person about that, this person about their sin or this person about conflict. But God, what are you doing in the midst of all this? Like in my life, what's happening? What are you doing? What are you saying? I'm really super interested in that. You change clothes every single day. Your hair looks different every single day. But God, like what is your deep and eternal truths? Why do I get obsessed with these other things? And what are you saying and doing? Like, I'm really, really trying to mind that. So when somebody is telling their story, it actually is very revealing about what they focus on. And this is why I wanted to stir community on the stories of Jesus for our life. It's because it's easy for us to retell and to communicate narratives that aren't Jesus narratives in our life. 
It's easy for us to talk about and just tell stories about celebrities or about traffic and what you did in traffic. It's easy for us to tell stories about pain we've experienced with others in our history. It's easy for us to get off track of telling the story of Jesus in our life and community. But here's the interesting thing about God. Here's the interesting thing about how he authors in our life is he seeks to lead us into a journey and into a recognition that no matter what's happening in your life, discerning Jesus is your paramount perspective. Discerning Jesus is so vitally important. And uh, I've been through a process over the last two years where I've done a lot of like processing. You know, you know where people tell you it's good to talk about, you know, what happened to you, your pain, uh, you know, places of contending for forgiveness and a process of forgiveness. How many of you guys have like healers in your life that really focus on your heart? Any guess? Tim and Pam, they have a ministry called Heart Freedom. Uh, and they, they, it's amazing. And they taught a, a marriage class once uh, or twice or three times, five times, a lot. And we're like, you guys did good. Just keep doing it. <laughs> and uh, they said this one thing about like something they learned to do together, which was called heart checks, right? And they do heart checks with one another. And Jess and I were taking the class. And when they said that, I said, babe, sweetie, please never, ever, ever do a heart check with me like that. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I, can we do something else, you know? And, uh, and like, but there's these people in our lives, right, where, where they probe on your heart and they probe for the healing process, and they want to know where your heart's at, and they want to know what's going on, and they want to know how to partner with you in those places of healing. And this is super good stuff. Like, really, it is. I've been going on a journey of healing on a process of it. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Here's what's really important to mix into and saturate into that place, is while you're unpacking what human, humanity has done to you, while you're unpacking its consequence and the damage, and you're trying to receive healing from it, don't just talk about what humans have done. Also ask questions like, what is Jesus doing? In the context of receiving healing from what testimony and accusations people have carried in your life, you're not going to receive healing in those things by talking about it. You're going to receive healing in those things by receiving Jesus in the midst of it. Jesus is the healer. His testimony is greater. So when you're talking about it, that leaves a door open for you to experience healing from Jesus. But don't just think that rehearsing the pain that you've experienced is going to heal you. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will meet you there. But shift your narrative perspective. You haven't just been cursed by people. You've been blessed by God. You haven't just been robbed by people. You've been imparted to by God. You haven't just been condemned by people, you've been redeemed by God. You haven't been just buried by people, you've been resurrected by God. We've got to see that for every place that humanity curses us, the enemy curses us, God is contending with his blood in our life for us to recognize his narrative of redemption. So... Stop just telling me about how you're cursed and bound. And introduce, interject even violently into that place of curse and brokenness, the redemptive narrative of Jesus in your life. And if you don't know what it is, find it. 
If you don't know what it is, go knocking on doors and asking around. Say, what does God do about addiction? What does God do about this hate in my heart? What does God do about pain? What does God do about my brokenness in my body? What does God do about failed marriages, broken families, prodigal sons? Like, what does God do about these things? How does he feel about me? Because I hate myself. I don't forgive myself. I hate others. How does God feel about them and why? And why shouldn't I punish others when they hurt me? Allow God to truthfully speak into your life and don't play church. Don't skate on the surface. It's useless. It's perfunctory. Ceremony's never going to save us. Ceremony will never save us. It will never save us. Walking in this door and performing church will never save your soul. It'll never heal the deep brokenness. It'll never break chains that that have been there for family generations. Like, just, like we, I really, like, I looked around and I started crying because I saw that there's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus said there will be a day where there will be people who worship me in spirit and in truth. And I've always asked God, I've always really desired that our church wouldn't just be a, like an emotional sensationalism church that calls itself a spirit-filled church. And I also didn't want our church to be a church where we just talked about the word and we didn't experience the word. So I'm like, you know what I want? Is I want a church. I want to be in a community of people that loves the spirit of God and that eats the word and it's fresh bread and it loves it and it memorizes it because it's like, I can never forget that. I can never forget that scripture where he said, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And when I'm getting dominated by sin, I remember his blood because I put it to scripture, I put the scripture in my heart, and I said, oh, I know what victory is. I know what it looks like. It doesn't look like me having greater humanity, self-discipline. It doesn't look like me getting a self-help book. It doesn't look like me lending to some other mentor or teacher or evangelist or pastor as my source of confidence. It looks like me embracing the blood of Jesus. Say, I don't care how dark my sin is. I don't care how dark your history is. I don't care what the snare of the enemy is in your life. I don't care how ugly it is. I don't care how shameful it is. Like, I don't care about your sin as far as it relates to who you're becoming. It doesn't define you if you don't want it to. It doesn't dictate you if you don't want it to. I got a scripture for you on this. Romans, Revelation 19, 9 through 10 says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Not the testimony of humanity, the testimony of Jesus. What's his story? Who is he? And what does that mean for your life? The testimony of Jesus. Such a short sense, worship God. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I found this scripture to be almost bizarre in that it connected worship, testimony, and prophecy. I was like, whoa, what an interesting assimilation of ideas. And what I began to realize is that which we worship is that which shapes our story. And whatever shapes our story shapes our future. This is why worship, testimony, and prophecy all make sense together. Because if you want to understand what God's doing in your life, look to the nature and life of Jesus. 
Why does the Spirit of Jesus prophesy to our life? Because it's telling about the future you. It's telling about who you're becoming. It's telling about your emotional base that's developing. You're not becoming like your mentor, pastor, teacher, evangelist. You're not copying my DNA spiritually. You're not even trying to become like me. You're becoming like Jesus. And what's really cool about you doing it different than me is that you find a diamond that I didn't find. And then I'm like, what a diamond. I love that. When Gibran speaks about evangelism and sharing the gospel, I'm like, what a diamond. What a beautiful perspective of Jesus. And I came and I did communion with him over here. And I said, you know, I want to tell you about like what God's been doing in my life in evangelism. Like he's been giving me a love for souls being saved. And then all of a sudden I, I saw these like places of contending over testimony. And for the first time in a while, I felt like a spiritual warfare violence over people's lives. And I started to get really irritated. I was like, I'm tired of the testimony of man cursing people and leaving them bound. And I'm like, I have to pray. I have to intercede. I have to pray and intercede even for the people in this community. And I hope they're doing the same thing for my life. I hope they're doing the same thing for the people around them. Because I don't want the word of the enemy to dictate our life anymore. I don't want lies and deception to dictate the pattern of how somebody lives. And I don't care what people think about a certain demographic or generation. I don't care what the normal predisposition of a youth or a young adult is. I don't care about what the normal disposition of a senior citizen is. Don't tell me senior citizens are old berries that have old visions that don't matter anymore. Don't tell me they were yesterday. Like when we say young people are our future, I'm like, not because they don't have a part to play in our future, but it eliminates the entirety of every other generation which is not biblically accurate. Old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions. We gotta wipe out these presumptive notions of generation significance that elevate us above another generation. It's just not biblically true. When Jesus tells a testimony in our life, it's one that levels all denominations, all races, all nations, all generations, all genders. You are valuable because you are loved by God. Because you are loved by God. Every part of you, the, the brokenness, the failures, the, the successes, the misses, the misses, the real great misses that we never forgive ourselves for. Like he really loves you and he forgives you. Lay down your self-condemnation and judgment on the altar. It's no longer time for you to carry those things. Condemn yourself no more. Jesus' testimony in your life doesn't condemn you. It never did. For there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Like I could tell you the story of Jesus because I know the scripture. I could tell you the story of Jesus because I've experienced it in my life. I was bound in pornography. I'm not. I was full of rage and anger and competitive. I am not. I say, I could tell you my personal narrative stories. I could tell you scriptures that speak to your story narrative and what God can do. But just believe me that every source of power and condemnation, pain and sin, you experience God's testimony is greater. Believe me, whatever it is you face, whatever it is that's condemned you, whatever it is that's judged you, whatever it is that's accused you, true or untrue, doesn't matter. The power of Jesus' testimony and the blood of Jesus in your life is powerful enough to overcome true sin or false accusations or true accusations. 
or true condemnation. I've always meditated on the spirit of Jesus' prophecy. It's always super interesting to me. So I want to encourage you, like, what do you, what do you put your awe in? What do you put your worship in? It's going to start telling a story about your life. It's going to start telling a story about who you are, where you've been, where you're going. And I want to encourage you to truly worship Jesus because it's going to start telling a story about your life. It's going to start telling a Jesus story about your life that's powerful. It's going to upend humanity. It's going to upend bondage. It's going to upend other people's testimonies. Allow it to shift how you tell your story about yourself and others. Allow it to shift how you see yourself in your history, your present, and your future. Trust God in these places. Sometimes I start singing that song very much under my breath so no one judges me. It's to worship you I live. There's something so simple about the phrase. I actually don't know the rest of the song. But there's something so simple about the phrase. It's to worship you I live. You know, it's just such a simple significance. Such a simple lifestyle. So my life, it's, I live. I literally live and breathe and have my being to have affection for you and worship you. I want to invite our, our holders of the cup and the bread forward for communion. I never really know what to call them. Friends holding crackers and juice. This is like the closest we get to children's ministry every Sunday. It's like, why do they get snacks and we don't? You ever wondered that? I want snacks. Good croissant. That'd be nice. Croissant? Croissant? Can you stand with me? I want to finish this time receiving the cup and the bread together. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.